You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode 113. How can I open a home for victims of CSEC? Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And Sandy, on the last episode, we had Judge Maria Hernandez here talking about some of the work that's been done in Orange County in regards to the justice system. And I'm really excited today that we get to continue our conversation about children and services. And we have a fabulous guest with us today that I know is going to really be a wonderful, wonderful resource for us in learning even more about uh, the work that's being done out there. And that is Joyce Capel. She has been the Chief Executive Officer for Crittenden Services for Children and Families in Southern California since 1998. Prior to joining the agency in 1997, she worked as an administrator in public education and hospital management for more than 35 years in the human services field. She earned a master's degree in public administration with a public policy focus from Cal State Long Beach and a Juris Doctorate degree from Pacific West College of Law. She's also served on a number of local, state, and national committees on child and family welfare issues. And she currently serves on the board of directors for the California Alliance for Child and Family Services and is immediate past chair of the Fullerton Chamber of Commerce. And I should add here, Sandy, when we were talking about Joyce this morning, one of the things you mentioned to me is that you just thought she was uh, one of the premier uh, leaders in America on really providing services. And so I'm really excited for us to be able to, to learn from her. Good morning, Joyce, and welcome to the show. Good morning, and thank you. So I'm really delighted to have Joyce here, and I look up to her. And when I want to know who's doing what uh, and that's on the cutting edge, she's the person that I turn to. So um, Joyce, let's start with just a little bit of history about Crittenton. You know, thank you for asking that question, Sandy, because it's, it's ironic. We're often congratulated for joining the effort to serve human trafficking victims. And I have to point out to people that our founder, Charles Crittenton, started the first Crittenton agency in New York in 1883, called it the Florence Crittenton Night Mission, And that referred to what were called women of the night at the time. And so it's very interesting that our history of serving trafficking victims goes back not just a a century, but beyond that to the streets of New York. Charles Crittenden saw women who had no way out of a life of sexual servitude and exploitation and believed that by empowering them, teaching them alternative vocational skills, putting a roof over their head, making them feel safe, was the beginnings of their healing and their recovery. And I think he would be very proud that we have picked up that legacy. So our history, as I said, goes back to 1883 on the streets of New York. Well, I'm always impressed when I read your history. And I I'm so grateful that you're so nearby here in Orange County and in Southern California. 
and you've come to ensure justice, you've led workshops, but a lot of people don't really understand what it takes to provide the kind of services that these um, children really require. And so when people tell me they want to open a residential care home and, and somebody willed a home to them, a house, it's got three bedrooms and we can take six girls. It's like, wait, 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 wait. There's a lot of stuff you need to know. And I point them in your direction so that they can understand how complicated it is. So kind of give us a brief overview of the first steps someone would need to take to do what they want to do to help these kids. Well, let me start off by clarifying that although there might be some anecdotal um, incidents or single stories where a young woman is coming from a just a traditional background with no trauma, abuse, or neglect in their history, the majority of kids we do see started their, their history of trauma at a very early age. And in fact, for our Crittenden agents here in Southern California, the average number of placements is seven before a young person is even placed with us for care. So as we understand more and more about trauma and early childhood trauma, multiple traumatic events, no intervention or treatment for that trauma, literally hardwires the brain. There's a different pathway that these young people are programmed to take. And understanding those root causes of trauma the unique vulnerability of a lot of our girls to being trafficked or exploited or abused in some way is the beginnings of what you need to understand to design an effective program. Literally, most of the trafficking victims exhibit what's called fight, flight, or freeze. That is, the flight part is that they often run. They often recruit other girls. They often run back to harm. And so you need enough security, staffing, and support to do your best to deter both their own fleeing, but also taking other kids into harm's way. Fight is a very primal sense of fighting for primacy or hierarchy in the environments in which they have lived. They are very inclined to um, fight their way into status, to overreact physically, so that you need to have a safe and humane way of intervening in those episodes of violence to keep the child and the child children around them safe. And then the freeze characteristic is literally shutting down, being in denial about having these issues, being in denial about the circumstances one finds themselves in. You need a very well-trained and very supported clinical staff to intervene in that freeze, to break open or de-ice the child, if you will, Mm -hmm. so that they can partake of treatment. So fight, flight, or freeze are very common characteristics of traumatized populations, but very specifically about CSEC. So you need to have a very high-quality, well-trained, well-supervised staff in order to intervene in those very hmm, sad but predictable outcomes when you're working with CSEC youth. So on your website, and we'll put a link to this, um, you have a, a nice description of Insight, which is your human trafficking uh, program for specifically commercially sexually exploited children. And the first thing that I see on this, uh, when I look at at the, the back side of it, 
is it lists license and accreditation. Can you explain that process? Certainly. And and I think that the majority of individuals who are motivated to start a residential program desperately need a, a source of funding for that. And just at the same time that a lot of counties are really trying to vet and to establish relationships with qualified providers of group care to serve this population. And the first thing that they're going to require is a license. Community care licensing is a division of the California Department of Social Services. And they're a regulatory body that monitors, well, credentials, monitors, and inspects residential facilities to ensure that they meet the highest standards the state has. That licensing process can take upwards of six months. It's a very time-consuming process, and it establishes the physical requirements of your building, but also that you have a program statement that addresses many points, including behavioral intervention, supervision, treatment, and support. So the first thing that a person or an agency would need to do is to establish that statement of operations that meets the state of California's licensing standards. Apply for and meet all of the requirements before you can hang out a shingle and claim yourself as being a licensed facility. No county can pay you. No county can contract with you. No county can place a child with you for care unless you have that license. Secondly, under the state of California's effort to ensure high quality of services for all children, not just CSEC victims, they have passed Assembly Bill um, 403 or the Continuum of Care Reform. That reform effort will require by 2017 that all licensed residential providers also be nationally accredited. In our case, we've been nationally accredited since 1999 by the Council of Accreditation, and just this last year, we added the Joint Commission to reflect that higher level of mental health services. So we are duly nationally accredited. It's a long, time-consuming, and often expensive process, but it's intended by the state to ensure the highest quality of care. So a new provider starting a group home today will, by January of 2017, also need to be nationally accredited. So, and that's not just for CSEC kids, but that's for any kind of therapeutic um, environment in a group home situation, right? Correct. Now, there are some um, privately funded or charitably funded providers that are establishing programs um, across the state, well-intended though they are, some are excellent and would meet all of these requirements if they chose to do so. I'm afraid that some of them may not. And because they're um, below the radar screen, if you will, they're not subject to regulation at this point, I think you run a significant risk of a vulnerable youth being placed for treatment and instead receiving substandard care. So the state is taking extra pains, I think, with CSEC populations because they're so vulnerable of making sure that they're only placed in high-quality providers that are ready, willing, and able to handle them. So what would be some of the unique um, issues when you say how to handle um, these kids? Give us like um, an example. Well, as I've mentioned, the fight 
flight or freeze phenomenon is common with all traumatized individuals, but it's it's even more so with youth who have had to hone some very intensive survival skills on the streets. Most of the CSEC youth do not voluntarily come into a treatment program. They are still believing that the pimp is, in fact, their boyfriend. They were vulnerable to exploitation and groomed by very sophisticated pimps. And sometimes gangs are involved in that process as well. So safety and security need to be considered when you're developing a plan for these young people as well. I think fundamentally, though, you need a in-depth knowledge of trauma, how it affects brain development and learning when youth are traumatized at an early age. Understand that it's, you're not just treating the trauma associated with the trafficking, but the fundamental trauma that made these youth that much more vulnerable to recruitment and exploitation. So a very much a trauma-informed practice is critical to successful treatment. So when, when a 14-year-old girl is brought to Crittenden, she doesn't want to be there, and, but she's getting uh, trauma-informed care. And even though you're doing everything you possibly can to address those three um, possibilities of, of flight, fight, and freeze, she decides to leave. Uh, what do you do? You know, we've been very successful over the years of convincing placing agencies, whether they be um, children's services, mental health, or probation, that we want that young person back when they're ready. I, I think one of the hardest lessons we learned and a lot of advocates have had to learn that it is not one size fits all with all victims, and it's not once and done in terms of treatment. No matter how effective your treatment program is, it is more likely that the youth will will experience recidivism. They call it the rule of seven. This is true of substance abuse treatment, domestic violence victims. Every time a young person is with us, we hope to rebuild their self-esteem, their ego strength, healthy coping skills. But we also realize that sometimes they backslide, if you will. Sometimes they AWOL and re-engage in the very behaviors we hope to, to help them overcome. But when they're ready to come back, we welcome them back. In days of yore when a youth AWOL from a facility, there was a negative consequence to it. And, and I think with anyone in recovery, since their journey is not necessarily in a straight line and it often gets interrupted, you have to welcome them back with open arms, start treatment where you left off, and keep rebuilding step by step by step. So I think um, running away or AWOLing, as we call it, should be expected with this population no matter how hard you try otherwise. But also, if they return, that's a victory in and of itself. They may be a little bit more ready this time or the next time. And you can't give up in that trajectory with the the child. You have to take each moment, make it a teachable moment, a recovery moment, build on it, and hope they stay with you longer this time before they run. Welcome them back when they do and keep on that journey with them. So in your, in your um, webpage, it says that Insight is Crittenton's comprehensive 
multifaceted residential program for assessment, treatment, and recovery of commercially sexually exploited girls. I think that is like the most highly condensed um, description of a program that I have ever read. I just see so much as a part of that. So the, um, the recovery aspect of that, then this isn't a, a 60 day program. There's not a time limit on it. Um, In my ideal world, we would have at least six months. That that sounds like an extraordinarily long period of time. But the first thing that you have to do with a young person unwilling to recognize the problem is to find a way of allowing them to see the pimp as the exploiter and not the boyfriend. And that takes as long as it takes. A lot of kids are very wedded to the idea that, no, I'm the one that he really loves. Um, I'm doing all of this for him because I love him. And it takes quite a while to actually break that hold. There's a trauma bond that often forms between exploiter and victim. And until that barrier is passed, the next phase of recovery just can't take place. And it takes as long as it takes. I think one of the most frustrating things for me when I listen, especially in in media where things are oversimplified, it's the idea we just have to go out and find them and get them to a safe place. And now they're going to be so grateful and their lives are going to change. And then we're so disappointed when in two days they're gone. Uh, I, I share that with you because I, I think I've never seen so much of an outpouring of emotional support and interest in a population. I I wish I could convince people to be as passionate about all the vulnerable kids that have been abused, neglected, and traumatized in their youth because they're all deserving and they're all high risk of being recruited, even if they're not an initial placement with us for that reason. But because of that passion, there's also a lot of emotion and a lot of unrealistic expectations. People see it as a failure when their little starfish that they try so hard to save turns right around in AWOLs. Um, I think we all have this vision of the child that ultimately goes on to graduate from Harvard and in their commencement speech, they're valedictorian and thank profusely the person who saved them Mm. from this horrible life. But the reality is most of these kids' journey, um, they're in control of. We have to prepare them for having good tools, unlearn maladaptive behaviors and learn positive coping, learn how to form positive, healthy relationships. There's a lot of things that we can coach, mentor, and teach, but we can't force. Well, That young person has to be ready in their journey, and it won't be at your timetable or mine. One of the things that I particularly was struck by when I visited one of your sites was how many kids who are not trafficking victims but they are getting the same kind of, of highly developed services and, and treatments that will be more preventative or at least early intervention. So how does, how does that figure in your, your program here in Southern California? Well, I'd like to thank the Los Angeles County Department of, of Mental Health in particular, but now multiple counties are realizing that just the residential portion alone without intensive mental health services 
is not as effective. Um, I think they started a path that many counties are now following. And in fact, our kids get on average four hours a day of some type of mental health services, not laying on the couch with Freudian therapy because they're still teenagers. But, you know, even a Tybo class, for example, might be teaching them anger management and healthy coping skills, body awareness and in control of their surroundings. So we have a variety of programs, um, that even arts programs, music, dance, that the young person is partaking of. And what they don't realize is they're all designed specifically for recovery objective. A lot of our kids, because of early trauma, many of our kids have had early sexual abuse in their history, have not yet learned where they are in control of their own bodies. That, that sounds simplistic for us, but for these kids, it's not so simple. So dance, movement therapy, um, what they call somatic interventions, yoga, um, breathing, it all sounds new agey, but it also builds pathways in the brain. It's self-soothing, self-calming in a healthy way. So those are things that are introduced in the program. Wow. And, and as you pointed out, um, we serve a multitude of kids, all of whom are linked by complex trauma, mm. all of whom are linked by one or more diagnosable mental health issues, all of whom need constant supervision, support, and structure. And so we have CSUNT kids who are also have a mental, mental health issue, who have substance abuse issues, and also might be pregnant by their pimp. That's a very complex child. They're not a label called CSEC. They're mm. not all exactly the same. And so we're able to match and personalize the treatment plan for each child based on their unique characteristics. I think that's one of the strengths of our program. So two kids can both come in with a CSEC label on them, but actually have two different life histories, diagnoses, symptoms, behaviors, and we will target a program specific to their needs. You hit on one really critical issue of placing um, youth who are pregnant or have a child. And how do you, how do you accommodate that? Well, we're one of the few uh, CSEC recovery programs, if you will, that will also accept youth with substance abuse disorders, mental health disorders, developmental issues, and or are pregnant or parenting. Um, part of the issue with a CSEC youth is the father of the child, if you will. In many cases, it's what the girl would characterize as a boyfriend, but you and I would characterize as a pimp. Talk about a complicated relationship with your own child as you come to recognize that he didn't love you, he was exploiting you, and yet the baby that you will be raising is a product of that union or a product of the serial rape, which is how I characterize the commercial sex tra um, transactions that this poor child is being forced to endure. The parenting of that child is seldom a healthy teenage sexual relationship. So parenting is a huge issue for these kids. We have to and break we know, the cycle. We have a, an excellent parenting program. We have a um, daycare center on our campus, which is also nationally accredited. So we look at developmental issues and try to coach in healthy parenting. So we're also breaking a cycle 
of abuse and neglect that many of our teenagers themselves endured when they were children. One one of the things that I, when I go through your website, I feel like I'm entering another world where anything I need, I can find it for this kid. And so when you talk about, you know, they may be in the intensive um, environment for six months and we can't actually put a, a um, this is a one size fits all time. And the, um, then, then the next step, where are they going to go? And I've, I've seen some um, transitional living issue uh, opportunities, some foster care. And what does it take for the person who really feels like, wow, I want to do something, but now I realize I'm not going to be able to, um, to open up a home. And maybe if I just created a home for one as a foster um, care or foster adopt program. What does that pathway look like? Uh, And I think it's a great question because I'm almost always asked, well, what happens to a child who's 16, 17, and they have successfully completed your program? Where do they go? And I'm sorry to say, often they go back to the same home environment that created the problem in the first place. And no disrespect to parents or caregivers who have done everything humanly possible for that child. But again, the majority of the kids that we come from have experienced a lot of abuse and neglect in those environments. The next logical step for us then is to develop specialized foster care. The person that you mentioned that the realities of starting your own group home are pretty significant. But on the other hand, um, taking into our home one or two children who have completed a recovery program and who can get follow-up services, but a more community-based, more home-like environment for their next stage of their journey, uh, please give me a call. We're always looking for those foster homes. Uh, And I think the discharge criteria needs to be recovery, breaking the hold of the pimp, obviously recovery to the point where they can sustain the temptations back in the community, but also sufficient break with um, the pimp or gangs that they do not pose a safety risk for the home that they're going to. Once that happens, I would love to work with right-minded individuals who open their homes and hearts to these young people to make the next stage of their journey a really healthy one. So does that mean that it's going to be better to place, um, uh, to do a foster placement far away from the neighborhood that the child was extracted from? Well, no two cases are identical. And in fact, some youth may be directly placed in foster care. Again, I'm speaking to our experience working with the deep end of the ocean, if you will, with very complex cases. But I would surmise that the next step should be in an environment in which there is more support in the school system, more support in the community and less gang involvement and drug um, availability. So if that means farther away from their original home of origin, I think that's actually in their best interest. I attended the Juvenile Justice Summit Inspiring Hope uh, last week with the Orange County presiding juvenile justice, the Honorable Maria Hernandez. And it was very exciting to hear our California Chief Justice 
uh, Cantil Sakui talking about the keeping kids in school and out of court initiative and the idea of having those stronger connections in a community and staying in school and out of um, juvenile detention and out of um, away from being suspended or expelled. But how do we keep our kids closer uh, to their school and that part of the community? And I feel like there are a lot of people that when they begin to understand they can change lives for one or two, that is going to be a doable response rather than um, trying to get licensed and accredited. So what number or how would someone go about um, contacting to find out how to become a qualified foster home? Well, in our agency, because we are also a um, licensed foster family agency, call 714-680-9000 and be asked to transfer to foster care. I also encourage people to reference our website, and there is a tab that will direct the interested party directly into our foster family agency. I think the long-run benefit for all of these children after a successful period of intensive treatment is to connect with their community, connect with a faith community, because I think faith can be very important as a resiliency factor for youth, connect to their church, connect Um, to school, connect to volunteer activities, something outside of themselves, that is a good next step of the journey. And I can't do that in a residential setting. I need to do that in a home-based setting, and that's where foster care comes in. Uh, That's outstanding. And I I think there are so many opportunities for uh, our listeners to realize they can make a difference. If you're not in um, Southern California area, and can't go to crittendensocal.org to, to learn more. Um, there, are, there are Crittenden programs across the nation. I, how many are there? We're linked uh, very informally, but a very strong emotional connection with 27 agencies 30, serving 31 states in the District of Columbia. And that ranges from Crittenden in West Virginia to the Children's Home Society in Florida, uh, the Pelchin Children's Services in Texas. They don't all carry the Crittenden name, but they carry the Crittenden credo. And it's all about our relationships with these young people and caring and support and mentorship of them. So if there are listeners who are interested outside of Southern California, please give me a call and I will connect them if there is a Crittenden named agency or related agency in their community. Excellent. And then um, finally, I'd like to know how people can um, support Crittenden. Well, one of the programs that we do every year is a um, Christmas present and Christmas party um, for our children. But we also have a um, special school in collaboration with the Fullerton Joint Union High School District. It's a normal academy within the context of the school district exclusively for our kids. They can accelerate their credit recovery, and we're always looking for volunteers to tutor and mentor to encourage our kids. A lot of our CSET kids have a very interrupted educational history, and in the time with us, they're able to recapture a lot of high school credits in the hope of rejoining their peers. So volunteer tutors are also of great need. 
And finally, you have an actual partnership statement for people. And I absolutely love that you give us steps and I'm going to read it so people will hear the actual concrete things you can do. It says, I'm going to join the Crittenden Services for Children and Families in pledging that I will work to end the sexual exploitation of children. And as a community member, then it, it lists like seven things. I commit to speak out, to host a training or other community event, to use social media outlets to educate those in my network. If we all educate the people in our network, we change our little corner of the world. Then dedicate time to learning more. And that's where you start planning now to come to Ensure Justice, March um, 4th and 5th, 2016, to study the issues. And then engage in a prevention program for at-risk children in my community. I loved how you described um, how dance rewires the brain to control, to have more control of body. And um, working to empower youth in community relationships and join a Crittenden Advisory Council as a community advocate. And I have to tell you, Joyce, I sent one of my students to Crittenden for an internship to be um, a community advocate. It changed his entire view of how significant one voice can be. And I just commend you. I love sending students to you. And I wish you well as you continue to persevere in this battle. Well, thank you. And thank you for the opportunity today to speak to your listeners. We are going to post those links on our show notes for you and also to the Ensure Justice Conference so you can start getting registered. March is not that far away. It isn't, Sandy. And thank you again to Joyce for your leadership uh, in this area. Sandy, it's it's just so... uh, Every time we have a conversation like the conversation today, I'm just really... Um, humbled and and just uh, in, inspired by how many wonderful, amazing people there are, and 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 also very well educated and knowledgeable people who are out there who are doing wonderful work, and how much opportunity all of us have to contribute in in whatever way we choose to. There is something everyone can do, and we've heard a number of options for doing that today. And speaking of one way you can contribute is to certainly share this episode with others. If there's folks that you know who need to know this information, I would encourage you to pass along today's episode or any of the episodes that we've aired in the past. And of course, we always are interested in responding to you, your questions for us. And we love hearing from our listening community so we can learn more about how we can help you to study the issues be a voice and ultimately to make a difference in ending human trafficking. And one way you can connect with us is through our email address, gcwj at vanguard.edu. That stands for the Global Center for Women and Justice here at Vanguard University. You can also reach us by phone 714-966-6360. And if you don't already hear from us on a regular basis, other than the podcast, one way to get in touch with us and to join the center's uh, regular newsletter is to go to gcwj.vanguard.edu. That'll take you to the Global Center for Women and Justice homepage at Vanguard. You can join your email address there and get regular updates from us and what Sandy's up to. Thanks again. 